Welcome to the Thriving Farmer Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Kilpatrick. Our mission is to inspire, educate, and celebrate sustainable farming. We believe that you can build a profitable, sustainable farm that gives you true farm freedom. Join us as we talk to farmers, innovators, educators, and entrepreneurs to glean their top takeaways in business and life. Hey there, Michael here. This is a special series for the Thriving Farmer podcast that talks all about the amazing benefits and the amazing opportunity with growing elderberries. So uh, this is an audio version. Now we do have a video version of this series as well. It's a four part video series. So I highly encourage you to head on over to elderberryworkshop.com and you will get all the details and the videos as well as some additional resources we have put together around growing elderberries. So I'll head on over to elderberryworkshop.com and get all the details about the workshop. Welcome back, Elderberry fans. And today joining me is Andrew Thomas. And Andrew has a Bachelor of Science of Horticulture from Missouri University of Missouri, a Master's of Science of Agronomy from Iowa State. And he enjoys conducting research on a wide variety of horticulture and agroforestry crops and crop new uh, production techniques. His main research interests include the development of overlooked native fruits and nut crops with commercial potential, but he also studies aspects of mainstream horticulture crop production. His research projects at the Northeast Research Center have included black walnuts, pecans, hickories, persimmons, pawpaws, elderberries, blackberries, grapes, apples, tomatoes, and a lot more. He has consulted internationally on numerous horticulture and agroforestry projects and currently serves as a director of Ozark Regional Land Trust. Welcome to uh, join us for this series. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. So when did you first learn about the elderberry? Wow. When I first learned, I mean, I've always known of elderberry. Yeah. I grew up in Missouri and spent time on my grandparents' world farm, and there are elderberries growing in the ditch. So I knew of them. Yeah. I probably ate a few berries, and they don't taste very good raw. But I, yeah. so I didn't really start researching them until I got this job in 1996. So okay. that's when I really started to dig into it. So 96, that's. 25 years plus that you've been either doing research or, you know, in that whole, um, you know, academic world around them. Yes. Yeah. And growing them myself. Yes. Mm -hmm. So talk to me back then at the beginning, it was a newer, I mean, like commercial crop at that point, the varieties were different. What was, what was the kind of the big things that you were learning at that point? Well, in 96, the main product was wine and okay. Homemade, just homemade jelly and yeah. uh, and elderberry wine can be good. I've had good elderberry wine. Yeah. Um, but what really changed was the dietary supplement product and the you know superfood market really developed. I'd say 15, 18 years ago, it really took off. And actually, so wine is a fairly minor product in elderberry now compared to the dietary supplement. So that's really changed a lot. And, and even more than that was the farmers picking up elderberry and running with it. Because <clears throat> it's one thing to just do research and have fun doing research. But when the farmers take notice and pick it up, that's that's really rewarding and exciting. So yeah. that all has been in the last 15, 18 years, I would say. 
Okay. Now, when people started going to that, were there specific varieties that they started gravitating towards? I mean, the health benefits are across all mm. varieties, correct? We, we assume. Okay. So, I mean, there's a lot of background there. In the 1920s and, and up to the 50s, there was a very, there was a little bit of breeding going okay. on in Canada and in at Geneva, at the Geneva station in New York. But, it, but those varieties don't do well in the Midwest. And I don't even think they're still true to name. No one really has kept up with them. So we had those. I think that's what you're asking. We had yeah. those. We gathered what we had to start with. But we realized that those being from Canada and New York may or may not, they may not be, do the best in Missouri. So we began looking at basically wild material that looked really promising and just began gathering some of the most promising varieties and then setting up side-by-side -side tests with, with those. So that's where Bob Gordon and some of these varieties have come from. Yeah. Yes. So then when you started doing that, now the, what was the, did you guys have spacing trials too, or is it kind of just, you put them in the ground and whatever came up? <laughs> uh, yes, all, all of that. I mean, the, one of the first important studies we did was pruning. Okay. So, uh, how do you grow this bush and how do you manage the wood? The wood doesn't produce fruit, the flowers do. So we, uh, you know, like I won't go into too much detail, but blackberry only produces fruit on two-year-old wood. Well, elderberry yes. we found will produce fruit on new wood as well as old wood. So there's, there's quite a bit to understanding how to manage that. And Elderberry farmers do it differently. Not everyone does the same, but you, they can be cut all the way down and they will produce a good crop of fruit or they can be kind of what I call horticulturally pruned. So that was kind of a, our first really important study, I think, uh, and that's been published. Yeah, very cool. And um, so then you got a couple different grants over the years around elderberries, but you just recently got a really big one. Walk us through a little bit about, did you think you were going to get that or kind of what was the process around going for that? Well, let, let, so let me back up a little bit. Yeah. So over these 25 years, we did get a few grants here and there and some really nice, but smaller scale yeah. grants to focus on specific problems. For example, the cyanide issue, which is a whole nother topic. Uh, and then so previous to this big grant, I believe it was in 2010, uh -huh. I was a part of a team that got a, another huge el grant that included elderberry from the NIH, National Institutes of Health. And it was over $7 million. And that allowed us to do a lot of research, and especially on the medicinal attributes of elderberry and brain health. So that, and that is finished uh, years ago and quite a few papers published. But that already, that grant set the stage because when we, whenever we go to a conference, the farmers are, they want more research on yes. the, the health benefits of elderberry. Yeah, they want to know how to grow it, but they want to be able to put published information on their labels or their websites, this kind of thing. So, uh, so back to the new grant, uh, that medicinal work uh, is is in there, but a little bit minor because this is a USDA agriculture grant. 
Okay. So, uh, when you asked, did we think we would get it? Well, to be honest, this was the fourth try. And there's some kind of, there's, we had to pull out one year, but by the fourth try, I was very confident about this. And that okay. maybe sounds arrogant, but it just clicked. It's, you know, and yeah. the, the need and the growth of the industry and the farmers, we had like 10 letters of recommendation from really good farmers around the country. And uh, so we got it. And I, I got a phone call in July, I think. Uh-huh. I'm the director of the program. And, and there's a whole story there. But uh, we couldn't tell anybody for like months. <laughs> that, <we laughs> that must have been hard. Yeah. So, uh, but uh, I believe it began officially on September 1st. Okay. Gotcha. Now, talk to us through a little bit about what this is going to cover. What are the, the premises that you're going for with this, this grant? Mm-hmm. So I mentioned the, the medicinal uh-huh. attribute. And again, that's somewhat minor, but it's extremely important. So it is a very specific on brain health and the aging brain and the aged brain. So, uh, and there's a hypothesis that elderberry on its own, but also elderberry in combination with specific fatty acids can can benefit uh, reduce memory loss, uh, Alzheimer's, these kinds of things that go on in the aging brain, and this will be done with mice. So the University of Missouri has okay. very, very sophisticated uh, research in the medical school that will be doing this. So it's very exciting. We grow and provide elderberry to the project and then they will do this research so again that's important but kind of minor yeah maybe minor isn't the word but a smaller part so horticulture you know how do we improve elderberry and breeding so i mentioned earlier there'd been a little bit of breeding a hundred years ago but there really hasn't been any breeding and all of the cultivars that we currently use in the midwest are nothing but wild selections and we know we can do better so, uh, so there's a significant breeding aspect and we, we are very uh, primitive on breeding. We don't have super duper genetic markers that we can do genetic engineering, anything like that. It's, yeah. it's foundational breeding and what I also call setting the stage for more advanced for using technology for breeding later on. So uh, a good breeding program. So in horticulture, uh, <clears throat> Weeds, we all know, anyone who grows elderberries knows weeds. Yeah. We're going to have a weed uh, trial, which is really important. We will have uh, different ground covers. We may have cover crops. There could be a herbicide treatment in there. We want to learn how to manage the weeds better, looking at the insects. And then there's a very important part of this that if you want me to keep going on. you Yeah, keep so going. So there will be what I call a south to north a latitudinal trial of different uh, elderberry selections. So this is going Uh in place here in the next month. We're starting to propagate these. So we have 12 or 13 selections of elderberry where we know where they're from, where where they have originated. And they have already been selected by farmers as superior. So we have one from Florida. We have two or three from Oklahoma, a couple from Arkansas, a couple from Missouri, one from Iowa, two from Wisconsin, one from Minnesota. So they're kind of that south to north. 
and we're going to plant them across. So the Florida varieties will be planted in Minnesota, Oklahoma, Minnesota varieties. I think you get it. Because yeah. I get calls and emails all the time. Will the Bob Gordon variety grow in Maine? Will it grow in, yeah. in Oregon? And I don't know. We don't know. And that's a really important thing to know. So, you know, the idea of, of understanding maybe the latitudinal adaptability of, of, a, of a genetic selection of elderberries. So we might assume a Missouri selection might grow well in Oklahoma, it might grow well in Iowa, or an Oklahoma selection may do well in Missouri, but when it gets to Wisconsin, maybe not. So that's the, that's the gist of that. But, and then the, so there's five of these plantings. Uh, the Kerr Center for Sustainable Agriculture in Poto, Oklahoma is the yep. Oklahoma one. Here where I work is the Southwest Research Center in Southwest Missouri, part of the University of Missouri station. And then in central Missouri is the uh, Horticulture and Agroforestry Research Center. There'll be one there. Yep. And then Savannah Institute, I'm sure you know, they will be hosting yep. one in Champaign, Illinois and one in Southwest Wisconsin. So these five sites and then they will also serve as the source for field days and events. There's a lot of other things going on at these sites. For example, we will be doing tissue, leaf tissue testing. We want to learn uh, how better to manage the soil fertility of elderberry. So that's probably going on and on about it. Um, so that's the, that's the basic horticulture thing. There is a whole economics aspect. I am not an economist, but I understand how important that is. So uh, there's a really interesting team of economists from University of Missouri, uh -huh. University of Minnesota, and we are bringing on a master's student from Nepal, a young woman who we just interviewed. She's going to come over and work on this, just basically understanding not only the production costs, how much does it cost to grow and produce elderberry, but also surveying farmer's markets and uh -huh. surveying the markets that are out there, which again is not what I do, but I know how important it is. Uh, mechanical harvest. So very yeah. important. And I am very confident we can mechanically harvest American elderberry where European elderberry is going to remain very difficult to harvest mechanically. There's a difference in how the plant grows. So we have a team of ag engineers working on this, University of Missouri and Penn State University. Uh -huh. um, so, and there's more to it, actually the chain of going from field to a frozen container and a food grade uh, container, there's still some issues there. And so part of the grant will be hopefully streamlining that, working with the farmers to improve from destemming to sanitization, that whole step, but also in, in the field. Uh, food science. So there's a whole food science aspect. Oh. And North Carolina State University is one of our great partners, uh, University of Missouri as well. And there's, there's a lot going on there that I don't really properly understand, but just as an example, spray drying the juice. So uh -huh. there are groups that can spray dry blueberry juice, watermelon, whatever. But if, if we can learn to spray dry the juice and 
then the dried material can also be reconstituted and, and further extract some of these antioxidants out of it. But can you imagine a spray dried powder that is very shelf stable, very lightweight, not bulky to store, can go into smoothies and granola bars and yeah. any dietary supplements. So I'm real excited about that. And again, this isn't maybe groundbreaking, but some of the technology in there maybe is, and, and the potential there is tremendous to take this raw berry into a already a value added product. And then to tie that together. So the food science group will be developing like these products that will go into the mouse diet for brain health. So that's, uh, huh. uh, there's a huge uh, outreach component to this. And then there's statistics and there's, there's things like what we call metabolomics. So we want to understand better uh, the health benefiting metabolites in elderberry. And there's been some preliminary work that shows there's 30,000 compounds in elderberry juice that may, many of these may be health benefiting. So we just, we want to kind of get a better handle on that. So that's a long answer. Wow. <laughs> that's okay. in, a, in a nutshell, maybe. <laughs> Yeah, I've got a lot more questions. <laughs> okay. Sure. So interesting, the the uh, brain health with the rats, are they doing a juice or a syrup? What's actually, um, because that's something I know, like, for example, Terry does 100% extracted juice. A lot of other makers are doing a syrup. So talk to me a little bit about if you want, if, if and there's any differences you know between the two. Well, I think this will be a pretty basic scientific study. Yeah. So I think what it will be, and it should be mice and not rats. Yeah. Uh, it will be probably the spray dried powder will just become a component in an ordinary diet where they're fed a diet, just like dog yeah. food or whatever. So some mice will have a percent of elderberry powder in it, which the point is that it would be a, a dose, if you will, that, that humans would yeah, equitably take. They're not going to just overwhelm them with elderberry. Yeah. So, uh, so it's really not testing like Terry's product, but at, at a more foundational level, just the uh, elderberry compounds. Right. <clears throat> yeah. So, I mean, it, and it has to go into a, a dry, like a dog food, like a dry pellet that they'll eat. Yeah. They're not going to drink, you know, they'll spill. <laughs> yeah. You won't get the white dosing. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> So back to that, has there been research done on like, you know, again, boiling it for making a syrup versus just the juice? Is that something that's out there or is that still need done? Well, I, there probably has, uh, I don't have a good answer. I mean, I'm not aware of any really good yeah. paper on that. I do know there's a paper that we worked on where as if the berries are frozen, as we know, for a longer period of time, they do degrade. So okay. they, they do need to be, you know, handled at a reasonable amount of time. But as far as boiling or microwaving, I'm sure a lot of the farmers have done that, but I'm not aware of. Gotcha. Yeah. Research on it. That still needs done. Um, for breeding then, so that's going on. The elderberries are pollinated now by bees. Are you going to be manually pollinating this? Very interesting. So it's a good point. So one of, so the elderberry pollination is not well understood. So okay. uh, that is part of this project. So we have a woman that has been hired and this is one of her mandates. So elderberries are wind pollinated, but we also believe they're wind pollinated with assistance 
from insects, but not honeybees. Honeybees, rarely, they do occasionally visit uh -huh. elderberry, but you see a lot of the little native bees, the little green bees. Uh -huh. And there's other insects like blister beetles that are probably pollinating, but it's, it's never been documented really what's going on. So that the whole entomology and breeding aspect are going to come together. And we really hope to solve this. Yeah. And then, you know, to answer your question on breeding. So we, we probably will not do a lot of what I would call handy masculation and very, very tiny little hand pollinations because it's just almost futile. It's so and tiny. Where, where we can use open pollinated. So what we've already done, if you want to hear this. Yeah. So we have a experimental orchard up here of improved elderberry varieties. So we can assume because they're wind pollinated and insect that if we harvest a fruit from uh, Pocahontas, for example, and there is evidence that elderberry is not self fertile. So likely it was cross pollinated. So okay. we are germinating thousands of seeds that we know who the mother is. We don't know who the dad is, but we really don't care. We can assume they're from one of these improved varieties yeah. and plant them out. As I, as I said earlier, this breeding program is very basic. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's how we're starting with just open pollinated. We're going to plant out thousands of these. If something has a disease, it's out. If it's yeah. really attractive to aphids or Japanese beetles, it's out. And a lot of work, but yes. so I don't know that we'll do any, we may play with some hand pollination, but the, the value of that. And, and even then you never know, did you really get it emasculated properly? And yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. And so then basically it's, it's, it's throwing a ton of things out there, finding what's the best and then working with that and then just keep oh. repeating that for as long oh. as you can. Yeah. yeah. Very cool. Pretty, pretty basic stuff, but you got to start, you know. Oh, yeah. Got to start somewhere. Um, the economics aspect of that, right now, I think like the maximum we're seeing per acre is about, what, 12,000 pounds an acre? Well, I don't, ha I don't have that in my head. So okay. Sorry. So. Yeah, but it, it's that something. So then they'll be taken with the different variety. Are they doing different varieties? Or are they just doing like elderberries in general? With oh, the they'll, they'll dig in really deep in economics and there, there will be a lot of surveys of not only oh, okay. our research plots but surveying farmers and and uh and you know which varieties are you growing uh -huh. are you making more money on this variety or with this technique uh oh, absolutely yeah so they'll dig in to there's a lot going on and i don't really Again, I'm not an economist, so I don't really understand a lot of what they're doing, but they're they're really sampling the market as well as the production. Gotcha. So finding out from people growing it now what they're making and how it's all working and all of that as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the one thing you mentioned about the mechanical harvest is that American is a lot, e you think it's going to be a lot easier than European. What's about the European that makes it harder than mechanical harvest? Well, the European grows more like a tree. So it has a, either okay. a single or a multiple stemmed trunk. And a colleague and I were over in Hungary right before the pandemic. It was eight, 2018 or 19. We were there during harvest and it is 100% hand harvested what we saw, which is amazing. And, and I don't know, I'm not 100% sure why, but the architecture of this kind of multiple stem tree and these berries hanging down just 
they just haven't, the economics and mechanical har harvest haven't evolved. Where American grows as a multiple stem shrub, and I'm quite sure that there's a device that can just literally push the stems to the side, shake that fruit, and then belts underneath it will catch that. Rather yeah. than trying to you, trying to shake a tree trunk and capture that, I mean, yeah, I, I see where you're going with this. Yeah. yeah. So I and I really think you know the right implement can just drive down the row, shake, and with American elderberry, you don't want to damage the plant. But if a little bit of damage is done at that time, it doesn't do yeah. much harm. But if you break a tree trunk on European, you won't have harvest next year. So they're, they're slower to come into fruit. So it, they're very different how they grow. Yeah. So, I, I'm kind of surprised that European isn't mechanically harvested yet, but as far as we know, it isn't at all. Yeah. Cause you'd think like something like a cherry harvest or a cherry shaker, what they could use over there? Right. I think so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, so, and the European, most of that's grown in Hungary and also the Ukraine, a, a large exporter of that. Uh, Poland. Uh, okay. Austria, there's some production in the UK, but not as much. Uh, I think even Romania, that kind of somewhat Eastern Europe is, uh, is, is a big producer. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then the food science is doing, you said the spraying right there. Are they also doing any other recipe creation or is it mainly about some of those techniques for further uh, basically moving it to different products? Uh, I'm, not, I'm not aware of, of specific recipe Create, okay. but they're probably again creating the foundation for recipes, whether it's a shelf stable product yeah. that can, you know, then chefs and, and yeah, looks like you even can take to the next level. So, I, I don't know, that's an interesting thought. So, we're, we, we are going to have a website, it's not up yet, so maybe we could have recipes on there, yeah. Yeah, that's always, I mean, again, if you can, because one of the other things that we're starting to see is people actually going to you pick them. And so obviously, are you picking them? They're going to probably make a little syrup, boil it away. But if they also said, oh, here's a, like three or four other fresh recipes or other ways to use it, I think that could be really helpful for folks. Sure. Um, yeah. Now, when you press the elderberries, there's always the skins and the seeds that are left over, correct? Yes. Mm -hmm. Has there been research done on the properties of, of what those can be used for, or are they pretty much a waste product? I'm not aware of any particular studies, but okay. everyone knows it's not a waste product. There's value. There's value to the seeds. Mm -hmm. They have oil in them. Of course, they're, they have value for propagation. The skins are loaded with nutrients mm. and antioxidants. So I mentioned earlier, I, so I, I do think part of the food science is going to be, let's extract the juice yep. and re-extract the pumice, what we call the, the stuff that's left over. Yes. Um, and I know there's a, there's a group or two that are extracting the seeds and making products and oil from the seed. And those are private folks. Yeah. So I know some of that is composted and fed to pigs and whatever, but, uh, but it has value and you're, you're, you're exactly right. There needs to be more, it's, it's a shame to throw that away. So there are more reasons. Yeah. I do believe the food science core will be working on that. Yeah, I mean, even the dry that afterwards, then powder that and then put it back into the product and product, I think, could be wildly helpful. So yeah. um, 
Very cool. Um, any other aspects of this you wanted to kind of share or kind of the, the work you're doing or other people involved that people should be paying attention to? Um, well, I, I didn't, I don't know if I mentioned, so University of Minnesota. Yep. Uh, yep. North Carolina State. Uh, Penn State is involved a little bit, uh, the Kerr Center and Savannah Institute. So in addition to University of Missouri, five other Wow. No major institutions, which is real exciting to have that that team. Um, And there are on this grant, there are 32 people on the project. Plus, we're hiring students and I've hired a research specialist. So there probably will be more than 40 or 45 people working on this. So it's pretty exciting, pretty overwhelming, actually. Yeah, I, I can, I can, I can feel that. Um, Mm -hmm. How many years are you guys committed to this or how, what's the time frame for this? Four years. Okay. So, uh, and there's, that's another point. So, uh, we, we make a lot of promises when you get these grants. And so we are having an annual meeting and the first one is going to be, and they're all going to be in Columbia, Missouri. Sorry about that, but it's central and and there's, it, it saves a lot of travel cost because a lot of the scientists are there in Columbia. Anyway, so I believe it is June 9th, 10th, 11th. And this is associated and piggybacked with uh, the River Hills Harvest Annual Elderberry Workshop. So okay. there's kind of a the scientific, there is a scientific part of the grant, there's overlap, and then we hope some of the scientists will stay. So, uh, so the point I'm getting at, so that'll be every June. In fact, we're going to book it. And then in June of 25 is the last year of the grant. Yep. We are planning a big international symposium on elderberry. Nice. So, and there's funding in the grant to even bring in speakers from Europe. There's a couple of European elderberry speakers we'd like to bring in. Uh, uh, we'll have a big trade show. I mean, it's it's we're already planning it, even though it's 2025. So, wow, that's so ambitious. We'll, it is. Yeah. It's a little overwhelming, but yeah. So that will then conclude the grant in the fall of 25, if I'm thinking correctly. I don't know you want to talk about a renewal, but we probably would reapply for another one, but that's yeah. too far down the road. So yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Hey, I really appreciate you coming on today to talk about this. I know you're a very busy person. I remember I caught you the other day, you were out putting plants in the ground and all these other things, but this mm. is, this is, this is so exciting to see though, because I think this really gives that credibility and in a couple of years, you're going to have all this more data to, again, as you said, go back out and get the, the next, the next five, $6 million. Right. Right. So, um, but that's really exciting for folks. And I think it's just going to keep driving the industry forward of what, I mean, the, the, the mechanical harvesting, I'm super excited about that too. And I think you're absolutely right. Um, I think there's been, I've even seen some, some of the cherry harvesters, I think have these like fingers that kind of like walk through a little bit. Yep. I think having that kind of thing could really help as well. Um, and the shake off just the ripe ones. Um, because one of the things too, is there's the determinant versus the indeterminate. And obviously those are going to change how you harvest as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That goes back to breeding. <clears throat> yeah. If we want to breed for mechanical harvest, then that's a very specific goal. If you want to breed for backyard production, that's different, you know, so they're, they're all good. Yeah. But we will probably focus on that commercial varieties that could be mechanically harvested. Yeah, absolutely. 
Well, I appreciate your time today. Thank you so much, Andrew. And uh, we can't wait to share this with folks. We've had, you know, I think three, 4,000 people sign up to go through the workshop. So it's the, the, the oh. it's been very positive feedback. And again, keep us in the loop as you keep working on the research and have new things to share. We're more than happy to share what we can on our list. Um, what is, if people want to keep following this, is there a specific place to go to follow what you're, the work you're doing? Uh, again, we're we're going to put up a website. It's we have a meeting tomorrow or this okay. weekend on it, so it's not up yet. There is a Facebook page. I don't even have it here handy. Okay. Uh, if you look up Missouri Elderberry Project on Facebook, you may see it. it there's not a whole lot of action on that yet, but yeah. So uh, again, on the grant, we promised a website, and anyway, so we we, we will hopefully get it up, and there, hopefully there'll be a lot of interesting, like the mouse studies and yes, put on that. And even some data and this kind of thing. So a lot of work to do. Yes. Yeah. I'm looking for that. Um, there's a trying to find that elderberry. I can't, it's not popping up, but I'm sure it will be. Um, but yeah, we'll just, we'll keep when you, when you got that ready, just let us know and we'll make sure we share that with folks. So, okay. all right. <clears throat> yeah. So thank you again so much. You're welcome. Very good. Thank you. All right, so that's a wrap, folks. And if you want to hear more about elderberries and get the video version of this presentation, head on over to elderberryworkshop.com where you can sign up to get all four sessions in a video format as well as additional resources on all things elderberry. So we have places to buy elderberries, places to get courses, more info to learn about the different speakers and all of that in this series. So head on over to elderberryworkshop.com. So there you have it, another episode in the books. So I'd love if you would hop on over to iTunes and leave us a rating and a review. Those mean everything to us. We love to hear what you're thinking. If you have a podcast guest that you can recommend, please pop on over to the Thriving Farmer Podcast website and leave us a review. That's thrivingfarmerpodcast.com.